0: Welcome to Plexweather. I'm Jason Anderson. I'm going to keep the intro short because this show is not going to be short. We've got a couple lengthy interviews. Hope you're going to enjoy them. Uh, First up, I have Steph Young from All for 11, Stars and Stripes FC. You can follow her on Twitter at Thrace. She will join me to speak about the uh, Spirits 2-1 loss to Sky Blue. Uh, So we'll sort of go over the ins and outs of that one from both both teams' perspective and just the general the vibe around the fall series and also get into some things that uh, we both heard uh, from Richie Burke uh, in this week's press conference heading up to this weekend's game against the Chicago Red Stars. To discuss that game, our second segment, is going to be a little collaboration that I'm really happy to be a part of uh, between this show, Plexweather, and Southside Trap Uh, which is an awesome podcast that covers the Red Stars. Uh, So I've got Sandra Herrera and Claire Watkins coming on to talk about where Chicago is. Um, We sort of did a joint show, so um, they talked to me about some things going on with the Spirit. I talked to them about what's going on with the Red Stars uh, and just the general vibe of where things are in the league this year, because it's been constantly strange, as I'm sure you probably agree. So, with that out of the way, we'll get right to Steph's segment right now. Steph Young is joining me to talk about this weekend's game between the Spirit and Sky Blue. Steph, welcome to Plex Weather.
1: Hey, for once, you guys are not having the worst weather in the world. I guess.
0: I guess it, today, the, today the weather is trying to make up for it, uh, but I, I feel like it's got some ground to cover on the apocalypse, um, which is the the comparison it has to meet right now. We've just got flooding in new places. It's not quite the same level, I think.
1: Yeah. I mean, we can talk about, um, you know, the weather and Field or whatever, but I'll, I'll let you, (laughs) I'll, I'll, I'll let you guide us into that.
0: Well, I I guess, you know, I've, our, the second segment is going to get into some of what I saw uh in person there and and that experience, but um for the large majority of people uh yourself included, this was a fully televised experience. There was no way to be there. There were some spirit squadron members in the parking lot, which was pretty awesome. I also want to commend them for doing that but also keeping distance uh which seemed to be the case every time I looked over, which is the if you're gonna do this, it has to be that way so um, I was glad to see that, but uh this was a big occasion for the spirit to be on big CBS as host, not just as a team that happens to be in the venue uh, as we saw at the challenge cup. Um, What was that experience like as an observer? Did, do you think that the game went off without a hitch? Uh, I, I personally, I only get to see the, um, the replay. So I don't know how the actual turning on CBS experience really went for, for this game.
1: I think everybody had some initial snafus who were, I was trying to stream it through CBS, all access. I don't have a big girl TV. Um, and it, there was yeah an initial snafu, but then it snapped too. And the broadcast quality is great. There's hmm. no like go 90 awfulness happening. It I think CBS has really committed to some of the production value. Um, You know, we have our critiques, as usual, of the commentary that's a a work in progress with um, the available talent pool for NWSL and just the number of games that they're allowed to get to practice their craft or whatever. But in terms of the way it looked, it looked great. I didn't and I was on kind of like a not great, reliable connection, but the game still looked fantastic.
0: I guess that that takes us into the actual the game the game itself Um, because what we saw was uh, you know the spirit trying to play kind of their normal way but not really being able to succeed in it whereas I think Sky Blue back in the challenge cup were trying also to possess maybe a little less ambitiously but still trying to possess and in this game it was much more of a um, sit in a little and then try and break Um, what were your thoughts on on their approach. And obviously it it was a successful one.
1: I thought sky blue looked really fun. They kind of were hitting their stride right off the bat, which shouldn't be expected of any team here, right? Multiple coaches now have said this stop, start schedule with the challenge cup and then the break and then coming back has kind of like worked everybody over physically. Um, That's probably why we're going to start to see a bunch of injuries. I thought Sky Blue looked fairly confident. Um, moving Midge Purse higher had an immediate effect, and she's such a smart player. I, I'd i have to watch replay to be sure, but I feel like there was this moment when Kujo got the ball, and Midge wasn't even her target. It was Ifyoma Onamanu, but Midge was already taking off because she could see that the way that Kujo, Onamonu, and herself were lined up, Kujo was going to give it to Anumanu and Anumanu was going to play her into the space. And if she started making the run now, she was going to be able to make the most of that space. And it's exactly what happened. And maybe I'm just seeing what I want to because I'm a midge purse stan. But I mean, she she's an incredibly smart player. And you could see out there the incredible impact that she had right off the bat. I didn't super enjoy switching sides of the field with her. I kind of liked you know, maybe they could use her to overload on one side. But, you know, in the end, she came through. I think in a regular season game, when Midge Purse and the rest of the team are game sharp, because you could see, you know, it looked fun and creative, but passes were going awry. In a regular season game, Midge Purse is getting at least a goal and assist out of a game like this.
0: Uh, Speaking of, you know, not just Purse and onomonu, but we we got to see that brief um stretch of the game at the end where it was those two and uh mal Pugh making it's bizarre to be talking about september making a debut but that's that was what was going on um what were your thoughts on how she handled the occasion you know this being her first action in a year her first action with a new club and of course you know the way 2020 is of course it had to be against her old club i
1: think i was worried that she would mess with the established dynamic, but I think she slotted in pretty nicely. Once again, obviously there's some rust and Mal herself, like there's some shots there where regular season, you know, 10 games in she's sinking that, but instead, you know, squirts just wide of the post or whatever. I really enjoyed it. And I loved the availability of Pew being able to, you know, pull the game wide as she does. So I'm actually really, amped for their next game which the challenge cup built a little bit of that expectation and like fall series is reinforcing it i'm like i don't know how much i want to let myself emotionally invest here
0: it is it's it's difficult to invest in any of this um right now uh i i guess that's that comes back to for the audience for this podcast is mostly gonna be spirit listeners um the idea that it's been hard for the team to play the way they want to play because it takes so much repetition. They had a lot of changes in the off season and instead of getting a full season to do that repetition, they've gotten a long delay five games in Utah and then another delay. And then this game on um, what ended up being quite short notice. Um, And it kind of showed, Um, I guess, you know, as someone who is not, looking at this with spirit colored glasses, what were your impressions of of them? Because it it seemed to me like they were trying to do what they normally want to do, and they just weren't quite as good at it as they usually are.
1: This might not be fair, but I'm going to single out Ashley Hatch here because there was a lot resting on her shoulders, and I don't think she quite held up to the weight of it. Um, If they were going to play the way that they were, I mean, I'm, I'm looking right now at uh, a map of Yokoyama's actions and she was doing her job. And then if we look at a, a map of Ashley Sanchez's actions on the other side, to a slightly lesser extent, I don't think she was as successful as, at Yokoyama as really putting the ball into dangerous spaces. But she just, you know, she had her moments, especially kind of earlier on. Um, and then Ashley Hatch, how many times did we see her beef it? Like she didn't make the right run. She didn't make the right choice. She didn't make the right touch on the ball. Um, and w- maybe that could be rust, but I think that's a pattern we've come to see with Ashley Hatch. And I think the spirit can't be like Rose Lavelle would not have solved some of the problems in this game. Like she's one player and the, the sky blue midfield kind of was running the show. Like maybe Cujo would have been forced back a little bit in order to help like clean up around Lavelle. But I just don't think that that would have been 100% the answer. I mean, it wouldn't have hurt, but you know what I'm saying? So yeah. I really think that the spirit needed to adjust and stop putting too many eggs in the hatch basket.
0: Uh, when you looked at uh, the mid, the midfield, this being a, you know, this is not the midfield, the spirit we're supposed to spend the year with. Um, they came into the season expecting it to be DBS, C Sullivan and Lavelle. Now, Sullivan can't play right now. She's she's still a couple, I think I think it's more like three weeks away at this point. Um Jordan DiBiase was in the stands uh for this one as well with a hip injury. Rose Lavelle is uh standing near Sam Mewis looking like a child um at Man City training. Um which is not on un- I don't it's just Sam Mewis is tall. Uh she makes all of her teammates look like a series of uh children or teens. Um but what were your thoughts on the midfield that did play? We saw Bailey Feist and Dorian Bailey play ninety minutes. Maggie Doherty Howard had to sub out uh, now i'm it's escaping me when that ha- it was late. It was the eighty fourth minute. um what What did you think of them overall because i to me it seemed like they struggle a little bit.
1: I think they struggle. I like Maggie Doherty Howard, and she clearly put in a lot of work. you You look at her actions map and like her her the combo of her distributions and her defensive actions. And, you know, she, she really works all over um, the depth of the field. uh, And she was trying to like push the ball higher early on, um, you know, by, by stopping the, the stop, you know, putting that backstop a little bit higher up the line. They were, they were trying, but yeah, I think you could see the midfield and the forward line kind of really struggling to, 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 Feel each other in the space, if that makes sense. When, mm. when I was talking earlier about Cujo, Onomano, and Purse, I feel like a lot of great soccer players, they can feel how things are working in the space. So, yes, they have heads-up play, they check space around them, they know the habits of their teammates. But for me, when I see a player making play, they've talked before, right? You don't have time to stop and think about okay she's going to go here so i'm going to go here therefore like they learn it through hours and hours of repetition so that they can automatically respond to a shifting situation and so i think that skywoo players definitely had a much better feel obviously you know they had one major change with McCall orboni but other than that they they were able to bring together a lot of the same pieces that they worked on together in the challenge cup and they had and you could see the effect on the field
0: yeah i, I... I think I agree, you know, the the fact that um we're talking about Sky Blue, yes, Zerboni was out, but when back in the challenge cup, whenever she was subbed out, it seemed like um it was Domi Richardson coming in and that's who started the game in the midfield anyway. So um it did look like a team that was more familiar, even though you know, when you look at who's missing, um Sky Blue showed up with fourteen field players. Um they're missing Zerboni, they're missing Estelle Johnson. Those are big pieces of the puzzle for them. Um, and yet, at the same time, it still felt m- closer to the norm for them. And and I, I think it also, they look like a team that is closer to figuring out how to play with the players they've got. Um, whether that's Pew or, or you know, Paige Monaghan started the game um, instead, but the same effect is there where you have, Onamonu who can uh hold the ball up because her first touch is so good. Um, her ability to kind of escape a defender and then hold the ball up is is I think it's really gonna be dangerous with them, with um with Purse, with Pew and with Monahan, because all three of those players are good at um making those those runs after the ball's been held up. So I looked at that and I thought, well, you know, Sky Blue seems really set up uh quite well the understanding is there um even though they were dealing with the same two and a half week constraint on getting getting ready to play again and and then had the added difficulty of um showing up with four goalkeepers and uh three players uh three three field players and three goalkeepers and that's their bench which is crazy but um i guess that's the uh, or no that math is wrong isn't it it can't be three and three that's only 17 i can't do math anymore Um, but in any case, um, if you're, if you were suddenly having to take over the spirit and get them ready for this weekend, where does your mind go as far as getting them to play a little better? What, what is the thing you're at least harping on in this round of training sessions?
1: Does it all come back to hatch? I don't know. (laughs) I don't think you can you know pile all of the team's sins on her um you know that when you look at the 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 team's heat map and stuff you can see that giant gaping hole in the midfield and that's not all her responsibility um so i i would love to see more out of yokoyama i would love to see them really try to engage either they're relying on her more like I don't know. How would you change? Would you change the formation at all to engage Yokoyama more? Like either as an overlord, as an overloader on that side, or to like try and get her into better scoring position, or to like pull pull wide and open up the space for Hatch. I, I don't know. The I, I guess I- I'm sh- I'm just like shoving the responsibility of this right back at you.
0: Okay. No, that's that's it's an interesting situation because there was a lot of not quite there that you can't really maybe address with one specific, you can't do, you know, one, one crazy trick is not going to fix the thing. And you just have to click the link to find out what the crazy thing is. Um, It it was a lot of almost, um, I think with Yokoyama, um, an issue they ran into is that with the injuries they have right now, uh, there wasn't really a right back option. Um, you know, Brooke Hendricks is a center back and she was playing right back because that's who was available. Um, And, you know, Natalie Jacobs would normally be a potential backup right back, but she had to fill in at left back because there's no one. um, I don't know what's going on with Jenna Hellstrom. She wasn't on the injury report, but she also didn't play in this game. And I feel like if she were healthy, she absolutely would have played one of those fullback spots. Um, So I don't know what happened there. Uh, We still don't have any clarification on that though you know you you and I were both on the call with Richie earlier today and there are the the injury news didn't get better um it got a little worse uh but we don't have specifics other than that the four players that the Spirit said were going to be out last week are out this week and Sanchez and Hendricks are both recovered from um their knocks which were really just inconvenient at the time but not necessarily you know, it's it's a difference between something that's painful and something that's an injury that requires treatment. Um, so they're back, but a couple more players that were not named are on the list. So, um, but anyway, the point I was trying to make about Yokoyama is that without a real natural fullback uh, in that spot, you don't have that extra width being provided. And so, if she wants to dip inside and create, which is normally what she wants to do, um, the the other team can go with her because they know that 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 wide threat isn't really there. They can, the left back can cheat inside and say, yeah, we're going to crowd you. You know, you're not going to get the overload you wanted. Um, so I think that's a, that's a problem that I don't know how they're going to solve, uh, right now, other than, you know, maybe Jay Bossieri comes in and Dorian Bailey, who, who isn't a natural right back, but has enough experience at that role where she is going to provide more width than a career center back, most likely. Um, maybe she can slide in as one of the fullbacks so that you start to get that fullback with, but uh, at the same time, it sounds like um, from another thing that Richie was saying earlier uh, the, the fact that they kind of ran themselves into the ground a little bit. I think, uh, I think there's some regret on how, ambitious they were in in what they were trying to do in terms of the extra running it requires and that they are going to dial that back tactically so that they aren't having to do all that running um which between that and you know chicago is chicago um i feel like the game is going to be quite a bit of a, a battle uh it might not be as much of a i mean this game kind of had more chances than i when when i sat down to write um after the game, I thought, well, there there were some chances and it was not a bad game, but it wasn't very eventful. But then you look at the stats and there are 26 shot attempts and um, it starts to, you you know, starts to hit home. Like, actually, you know what, for the first game back for these teams, it was pretty eventful. Um, but I don't think that they, the Spirit want that to happen again, because I think they paid a physical price for the amount of running they ended up doing.
1: I feel like I'm losing my mind. Because I'm looking at the actual stats for the first time, right? Mm -hmm. And here I am, like, yeah, they were both showing rust, but you could see Sky Blue were sharper. But technically, the Spirit had the better passing accuracy. Mm
0: -hmm. And
1: they had 502 to 501 passes for Sky Blue. And it's why, you know, eye test always has to be double-checked. But, like, I think part of the perception was how much of Sky Blue's passing led to an actual shot on goal or Mm -hmm. a successful attempt. whereas how much of the spirits passing led to like a total collapse right outside the 18 and then a recovery. And then here comes sky blue again.
0: Yeah. I mean, you mentioned that um, gap in the midfield. And if, if you're listening to this and you don't know what we're talking about, you can go to the league website, um, click on this, this game, you know, the, this page for this game and under the stats section, there is the, the fun to play with chalkboard and heat map. And you can pull up this stuff and see where, Things went wrong, and there is. There's just a big old hole where nothing happens. There's no passes, there's no, uh, not much of anything. Um, but what that can also do is show us the, the difference between these two teams, despite that, you know, the stat similarity is very, very close. Um, one total pass out of over a thousand differentiates who, pass, who had more attempted passes. Um, but you can see that the spirit, their passes are a little further upfield. Um, but they're also a little more side to side a lot. Um, Sky Blue's got a lot of passes in their own half. And then and some of this is a weird Opta error where that people don't, I've read some, some thoughts on this about how the data collectors don't like to put a pass on the midfield stripe. So you'll see a weird gap at midfield and it's that the passes, the dots end up getting placed a little off of where they actually happened. It's almost like no one, no one stepping on that stripe is allowed to have the ball, uh, which is not how soccer works, I don't think. Um, but with Sky Blue, it's a lot of passes in their own defensive half, but then clusters of passes higher up. So it's once they broke through, they were able to combine more and have more success, create more chances. Whereas the Spirit, even though they had uh, more attempted passes, they end up with a lot of those attacks breaking down. And it's a, it's a, It's a helpful way, I think, to to present it to yourself visually and not just say, well, I think that's what happened. You can actually go and see um, that, yeah, Sky Blue has a big cluster of passes to the right, um, uh, high up the field. They've also got one to the left, but it's a little deeper. It's a little more heavily involved with Imani Dorsey. Um, So you kind of get a feel for how they went about getting through the spirit, though some of it is just... I think the the spirit midfield, defensively, they seemed a little gappy um, at times. And those gaps got exploited uh, often enough that we're talking about, you know, players having to turn and chase. Uh, Both teams had a penalty kick shout in the first half that were based on um, a fast player getting in behind and defenders having to make a last-ditch tackle or lunge, um, typical of the NWSL. What. Well, one of the classic things is that even with no fans in the building, I still heard at least one voice uh, criticizing Danielle Chesky for a no call on one of these, um, which I guess is life as a referee. Uh, But yeah, I I guess my thoughts now, because I, I feel like the Spirit are not far from being able to be effective in these games, but I also... I wonder that last step might be a little difficult because they can't train uh, as heavily as they want. You know, we heard from Richie on this call that they had to cancel a lifting session. Their tactical sessions are being, you know, downgraded from a, um, from a physical standpoint. So it's not as much uh, running work, uh, running work involved in those Um, It kind of brings us to the broader picture with the idea of the fall series um what what can teams and this isn't just for the spirit of sky blue but league wide like what beyond tryouts for next year can they take from these games because you know the spirit i think tried to take this game as a let's go win the game for the sake of winning the game experience and now they're kind of it sounds to me like they kind of regret that to a certain extent
1: i think all you can really take from these games is kind of Scouting for the future and maybe learn more about your culture internally. Richie talked today about um, load management and how they kind of hadn't prepared the players to the best of their ability. And part of it was that the league hadn't been really communicative on the timing of the fall series. So the way you plan for like big bursts of tournament activity and lull, and then another big burst of activity is obviously different than just big tournament and then you have time off. Right. So, you know, part of it was the bad communication. And like you mentioned, he, they, they might've, you know, pushed some of the younger players trying to get ready. And he talked about how, you know, it's maybe starting to manifest now and some smaller injuries that they're having to stay on top of hopefully. So I'm wondering if what teams can learn now is all internal about Mm how they do load management how they communicate with players if they can use these as ways to tweak their you know protocols for whatever they do next season so they learn they take the data and they're like okay um players coming off of a this length of break after heavy load and then we're reloading them again like what what are we seeing in the data um how what's their what are the max speeds they're hitting? How easily are they getting fatigued? Um, what kind of injuries were we seeing? Like, is there any kind of repetition, any pattern happening here? I don't think that a lot of teams are going to learn about themselves, like tactically, from this fall series. I think what they're all going to learn is like mostly pertaining in, internally to their their team culture and team procedures.
0: What a when you're watching these games, what a at this point, like are you just looking for players that maybe are players to look out for next year? Um, is it, you know, a couple players here and there, you know, we talked about Yokoyama, the, the possibility of someone building more of a relationship with her on the right side, um, things like that, where it's just internal, you know, this group of three, maybe with sky blue, it's, it's that, that forward line, um, start to build bonds or, um, I mean, I guess it's a tough question because I'm I'm now thinking of like what I'm looking for for the spirit or uh, what anyone might look for out of Sky Blue or Chicago is going to be different from what do you look for out of Orlando, who are at this point a total unknown, um, who wanted to use this year to remake themselves and are now facing a year where they get four games of some modest seriousness, but also maybe not full seriousness.
1: I mean, I think you're right in that people can maybe get a taste of who they should look for next year. And you can kind of tell like um, players maybe who were brought in to fill gaps in the roster who are certainly getting a chance they might not have otherwise got. And that's, I think that's very good, but I think barring, you know, one of them playing lights out in this realistically, you know, a lot of them are going to go back down to WPSL or, you know, return to their amateur teams or, or academy teams or whatever, when, um, you know, a lot of Americans come back from overseas leagues, their loans and things like that, uh, because they actually got, you know, more than four games by going overseas. And they were in a, not just the games, but, you know, the training environment where you have access to facilities and a physio and like regular daily feedback from someone tactically instead of just running 10 miles in one place in your apartment. Um, so, so yeah, I, I do think we will get a little taste of that, but I'm not certain we're going to see a ton of it from names that we've never seen before. I think it's mostly going to be like, I hate to keep bringing it back to Sky Blue, but (laughs) you know, um, we, we saw Cujo perform in the challenge cup and then Sky Blue signed her to a contract. So now we're going to get to see what does it look like when she knows she has a certain level of job security on the line, you know? Um, and she has more time to cement herself in that midfield, like watching her against Washington, there are some times where she completely changed the weight of the game with one touch where like, she would pick up the ball, she would put her head up and then she'd be like, that's where the space is developing. I'm going to put the ball there. Um, so, you know, and maybe on the Washington side, I'm not super sure who you're going to be looking for that from I mean, Yokoyama is certainly one Feist maybe another one Ashley Sanchez actually you guys have a lot of options so never mind
0: <laughs> yeah it is it is a I mean it's a weird space because on one hand uh you know Lavelle departed uh DiBiase we haven't gotten to see in this the fall series yet and at for all I know, I have no idea of the severity of her injury. I don't know if we're going to see her because there's not, it doesn't end. It's not a thing that ends far in the future. It ends kind of soon. It's not a long event. Um, but at the same time, it is this moment where, uh, these players who aren't necessarily first choice when everyone's healthy, uh, they do have their chance to prove what they can do. And also, um, as a as a front trio, you know, Yokoyama, Hatch and Sanchez, uh these are probably big games for them to prove that they do work as a unit because you know, like you said if if we have a situation where two of the three players are looking somewhat dangerous and the third isn't really working, do you say you know, this is not these three aren't going to work as a group, what do we do or do you say this thing could work if it just has more time? Um I think when I think of this, the spirit, the player that I'm coming, I'm just landing on right now um, would be Dorian Bailey playing in this midfield role um, because she's really, really, really good at keeping the ball. Um, But the spirit probably do need that one more passing element to break teams open. If they're going to play the way they want to play, they need that one more um, creative passer and maybe that mix of, retention you know ball retention is a little too heavy that way and not quite risky enough um but you know i I say that and at the same time for all i know she could be a fullback this weekend um that's the other side of this uh because we you know we don't have the injury we we have an injury report it's just for uh a different game it's not it's not for uh the spirits game against chicago so it's still a a mystery as far as who's available, who, who can play soccer. Um, I guess my last question really is more of a, a broad picture on this. Um, You know, before the game, we saw the two teams take the field in the t-shirts that turned out to be provided by Natasha cloud, which was a a twist that I did not anticipate. Um, But it was a, it was a nice element of unity between Uh, the different women's sports leagues trying to support each other in in you know making some kind of stance against um, racism and police brutality right now Um, what were your thoughts on that this this being a platform that was a national platform and and maybe more of a unified look than we saw in the challenge cup where it seemed a little more kind of Frazzled. It seemed like people were figuring it out and the games came too soon for them to actually get it squared away.
1: I really give a lot of credit, as far as I know, to the Black Players Coalition that's being put together with like Mitch Purse, Lynn Williams, Crystal Dunn, uh, several other players. Um, I don't think Black Players Coalition is the official name of their group, but uh, I'm also not sure we have the official name yet. That's my bad for not specifically knowing, but I do no, give I, them I, a lot I, of credit. But-
0: I think that's correct that there is not, I haven't been informed of a, this is the official name that we would like to be referred to as a group. Right. Um, right. So it's still kind of a mystery.
1: Right. Uh, but I give a lot of credit to that. And, you know, Midge Purse, um, was she It talk- was it a post game where she was describing uh, all the logistics, the hoops that she was jumping through in order to get the shirts mm-hmm. last minute. And mm-hmm. She was like, I was on the phone with Elise LaHue because she knows this stuff. And then, you know, I, I got in touch with Natasha Cloud somehow, who got in touch with her man, who got in touch with like his dude at the T-shirt factory. Um, yeah. yeah, so I really give a lot of credit to that group who seem to, at the Challenge Cup, realize like, we're going to have to step up and, and you know, form a group together because nobody's going to look out for our interests better than us, Um, you know? Mm-hmm. And and that's that's something that we saw with, you know, I think there was a, a lackluster response from white players. And your colleague Andre wrote a really brilliant article for us for All for 11, where he talked about how white player silence was really failing their teammates after their their black pla their black teammates Bared their trauma for their their teammates, you know, mm-hmm. and and then the response to that was really underwhelming, at least in public. Um, so I give so much credit to those players for coming together during the challenge cup and it seems like they really took the time between then and now to talk internally communicate and be like you know who are we what do we want to achieve and um I I I think the rushed nature of the t-shirt job was Mm. a combo of the rushed nature of the fall series overall and then maybe you, you know a little bit of last minute communication finally crystallizing
0: Yeah. Yeah, because, you know, I think I think when you mentioned what Midge said after the game, um, that was also a thing where the spirit had um, and I don't think this was in the press conference. I think this is just something that um, a few of us overheard, basically kind of had an ad hoc uh, informal, uh, you know, or actually uh, now that I'm thinking about how it played out, it was also um, Lisa Baird trying to find out more on her own um with the spirit having made their own shirts um and they were ready to do their thing as a team uh and then sky blue had their own ideas and they got in touch with each other and you know one thing we can say is that there are a lot of connections between the spirit and sky blue um <laughs> there are a lot of uh people who've played for one team and then the other there are a lot of uh i mean the the traveling squad for sky blue had at least three ex recently ex spirit players. Um, So there's a lot of, you know, mutual friendships there that can be turned into uh, that connection that actually allows you to unite as, as two teams, rather than it being, well, our team did our thing and you guys, you know, good luck with whatever it is you're going to do. Which I think maybe the league needs a little, uh, maybe the teams need that um, back channel more And, and it should be, it almost seems like it should be stronger than it is that the back channels there, because all of these players know a few people from every other team. They've always got a college teammate or um, they both played for the same elite youth club, or they played uh, a couple of years ago on this team or that team. Um, It seems like there are no real strangers around the league uh, for the most part. And um, you know, I'm, I'm, interested to see if the spirit and chicago have any plans cuz i i have not heard any myself um as far as what they plan to do this is not as big of a platform this coming weekend the game is on twitch and not cbs but it's still um interesting to me to see if it was a we're on cbs so we have to do something move or if it's a um we want to do something before every game because you know you and i watch the wnba and we see there's something it's it's a visible audible presence every single game so it, it doesn't get put aside it doesn't you know you don't get allowed to take the day off from thinking about these things because you know we've kind of taken a few hundred years off so uh extra days off are probably not on the table anymore it seems like so i don't know are do you do you expect um and this is purely speculative but do you expect m- more from the rest of the teams uh in this to to speak up specifically on this these topics
1: I don't know. I don't know. I hope so. I really hope so. And I hope it's because like the whole team has decided to, you know, help carry the burden together instead of just being like, well, strong black woman lead the way and we'll follow you and do whatever you want. Like, I hope someone is taking some initiative to learn and implement some change. I, I mostly, I I really appreciate the black players coalition because I'm thinking about teams that don't have as many black players, you know, on the roster. Cause when you mentioned the WNBA, you know, what's the, what's one very glaring difference between the two. When you look at any WNBA team, you see a lot more black faces. So mm-hmm. there's more of a collective knowledge and kind of, um, inertia happening there where they're like, Hey, these are our life experiences. Like, don't tell us that, you know, we don't experience oppression. And like, uh, there's a, maybe a, a larger, um, bucket of empathy that has to that's happening there. Um, And yeah, so I'm thinking about the players on teams that either they don't have a ton of black players Mm -hmm. or the the team culture is, you know, at best kind of uh, ignorant, like not not willfully ignorant, but just the kind of like, I'm I'm a dummy. I don't know anything about racism. I, you know, blah, blah, blah. Help me. It's
0: it's my first day.
1: Yeah. Or or I really hope this is the case or a team that might. Actually, be resisting attempts to mm-hmm. talk about. I, I I don't think that there's actually a team in the league that is that would actively try to suppress um right. collaboration and discussion within its team about like how do we defeat or like how do we combat racism. But I there's certainly different levels of buy-in among the different clubs that we can we can that we've seen. So I, I think that coalition is going to be massively important. I can't wait to see what they announce next. Um, and yeah, whatever they do. I, I hope it does find that level of consistency that you mentioned with the WNBA, like just something you can't ignore because it's always there.
0: And on, on that note, I think uh, we'll move on to the next segment, which uh, th- this one is almost a forecast cast. We're, we're most of the way there, but unlike a, a real forecast, we actually talked about real stuff. We can do it. Uh, it's just uh, <laughs> so, sometimes it's nice to talk about duh, dumb memes
1: i mean i love dumb memes they're they make life a little more bearable and life right now is very unbearable
0: yeah i mean like speaking of like literally as we're recording this the league has announced that um they're going to well now that the tweet has disappeared um but uh they're talking about rescheduling the portland game because they are having the actual apocalypse it seems like happening nearby yeah um Portland,
1: O.L. Reigns rescheduled for Tuesday at 10 p.m. mm. Eastern, which is just such a killer time. I mean, it's better for them, but it's it's so killer for us.
0: Right. And, you know, I I guess the one good the one small positive here is that not only do the players not have to play in those conditions, which are completely insane. um, But the league does have another game lined up and they've changed uh, the courage and the dash will now be that CBS game. Or no. Is that right? Yes. Um, yeah, because the Portland game was going to be a CBS game, and now it'll be Courage versus Dash, which has its own um, interesting aspects. But yeah, the the we don't get any real time away from there being... Something has to change because things are terrible, and this is one of them, is that you couldn't play soccer because the sky is on fire. Um, and I guess on that note... <laughs> well... We'll end this segment and move into a se- uh, the second segment, which I can tell you because it was recorded out of order. Also has some some fun times and also some not some fu- such fun times. Uh, so don't turn the show off; it's going to continue. My thanks to Steph again for coming on. Um, again, as I mentioned at the top, you can follow her at Thrace on Twitter, All for Eleven, Stars and Stripes FC, both SB Nation sites. All for Eleven is called co- covering all women's soccer. Uh, Stars and Stripes FC focuses on the national team. She's in charge of both. So you're going to see a ton of her writing there. And uh, I believe that's it. She's also uh, on FertCast with me. I don't know when the next FertCast will be, but that's a thing that we do uh, with Claire, who is half of my guests coming up. uh, And with Caitlin Best, who unfortunately isn't going to be on the show, I think, anytime soon because the Spirit aren't playing Portland. So um, maybe I'll have to figure out an excuse because she's also great. But in any case, those are the places that you can find stuff. And let's move into that second segment before this turns into too long of a segue. And with that, I'm going to bring in my friends from Southside Trap Pod, Sandra Herrera, Claire Watkins. Welcome to Plexweather. What a great introduction.
2: (laughs) Thanks for having us, Jason. I feel at home. Yeah, Yeah, we're pod
0: buddies. we're we're going at, at top speed. Uh, I had definitely not making mistakes. The Chicago red stars are coming to uh, not, not DC. They actually won't be in DC. I don't think uh, they'll actually be quite far from DC to play, to play against the spirit this weekend. And I guess the main question I have at this point, um, and I know from talking to you guys that I, I kind of know what the answer is uh, to a certain extent, but What's going on with the Red Stars right now?
3: Like who are they?
0: <laughs> yeah.
3: Um, that's a good question. So You asked us here for answers? Yeah. Um
0: Well at least a discussion. We might not get to an answer. Yeah. But we might get closer.
3: We can't speak definitively um on on who the Red Stars are or uh what they're doing. Well, that's actually not entirely true. So we, we're joking about it a lot, but um yeah, so Chicago hasn't put a roster out yet. Uh the Spirit famously didn't put a roster out before they played. Um they had one I, I think in there, Did you get a full roster? Yeah, I,
0: I got I got game notes. So That they, they doesn't had...
3: count. No, no. It, it has to have, be
0: It did have the official roster in it. Okay. Um in it? they just didn't send an email.
3: All right. Well that's a buried lead, in my opinion. But um <laughs> But yeah, so so we don't know still. We'll probably know by the end of this week. Um Yeah, I mean the the thing with the Red Stars that's always true. And Sandra and I joke about this all the time, which is that we do, we we rage, we raged before the challenge cup about how we didn't know anything, and then we're raging now about how we don't know anything, and then they show up and it's like, oh, it's the red stars.
2: <laughs> so
3: <laughs> Yeah, so that's my favorite you know- <laughs> version of the Red Stars.
2: Is they're just like you dumb bitch, we've been here. What's wrong with you? <laughs> and then yeah, I'm like, I mean, oh, that's right. Thanks, guys. Yeah. <laughs> I,
0: I mean, we're, we're recording this on Wednesday, and you're you're going through exactly what uh, anyone that wanted to cover last week's game was going through at this point, which is to say, I'm pretty sure I know most of the players, but, you know, maybe there's a surprise. It could be a big one. It could be a small one. Um, Just... I think literally just today, was it that uh, Yuki Nagasato announced her loan to um, the awesomely named Hayabusa 11. Um, Yep. Shout out to all the listeners that also follow the Kanagawa prefecture second division. I think (laughs) I have that correct in my head. Um, So we know she won't be there, which is obviously a big loss, but also they kind of played the whole challenge cup other than, other than that first game, they played the whole thing without her anyway. And I guess that that was the first thing on my mind was that the player that at least to me, it seemed like got the minutes as the result of her being injured uh, seemed to be Rachel Hill, who didn't really do a lot with those minutes. Um, What's uh, when he when when Rory Dames brought her in, I thought, okay, she's going to be in the mix, but not maybe not going to play all that much, maybe like an often used backup at best. And instead, she appears to be like kind of a full time starter uh what what goes into that what is what is what are the uh red stars looking for there and why it hasn't it worked yet if if it hasn't i feel like it hasn't
3: yeah you know a thought that i did have this week was so rachel hill is actually one of our known properties we know that she's in sweden playing for lynchaping um and i i actually had one I missed. At, yeah so she's she's yeah. out no it's okay it's okay no it's good i have an answer for this um okay so so I had the thought this week that I'm not sure. I'm actually not sure that her being in Sweden is the best place for her to be right now because she was being asked to do a lot of things in Chicago's attack. And I'm not sure it's the best use of, of her time to not be getting more reps in with the team. Um. So, so what we're looking at attacking wise is kind of, there's, there. I'm not, we were, you know, Sandra and I were talking about this earlier, like, We're not entirely sure. We know Kalia Watt is going to be very prominent for them up top. Um, Obviously, Katie Johnson is in camp as well, though she moves centrally outside. It's not entirely sure where exactly she would be. Um, But Mackenzie Doniak and Rachel Hill are both overseas right now. So um, the thing that we saw, especially in the Challenge Cup final, was a Red Stars team that was asking Rachel Hill to really come up with something for them. And they struggled with that. And mm. so, and one thing that Scott Parkinson actually told us this week as well is that they, one of the things they've been focusing on recently is when a play, one of the, when, again, one again, one of their known quantities, someone like Danny Colaprico or Morgan Gatra has the ball. They need people to be making multiple runs when maybe in, during the challenge cup, you saw players making the same run they were all having the same idea and they weren't diversifying that enough. So I know that the Red Stars have been working on diversifying passing lanes and the attack. Um, I actually think it's too bad that Rachel Hill isn't there to be part of that. Um, so the the good news is that the question, the basic question of who's providing the answer for Chicago um, is definitely relevant. Um, it's too bad that Rachel Hill won't be there to to kind of be part of the solution, I think.
2: I'm in agreement. I think that um, part of the big thing that we were looking forward to and covering more games in 2020 for the Red Stars was that they it was evident that they were going into Challenge Cup with a very specific uh, game plan, set of rules, whatever you want to call it. Right. Um, the coaching staff told us as much. We had Rory Dames on prior to fall series, admitted as, as much. And then we saw it play out during challenge cup I mean you can even extend that into the offseason into draft day right for this team where it was evident that they were uh, trying to take a different approach when it came to establishing an offense for Chicago a team that has really built and relied on a sole striker for years all time basically Mm -hmm. within its NWSL history right so you're talking about getting a forward like Kalia why you're talking about, uh, you know, making a move for a player like Mackenzie Doniak, someone who was rated really high in that draft class, and then has kind of become a, a journey woman within this league, and then that included getting a player like Rachel Hill, which maybe for some people on paper that might have made a lot of sense, uh, maybe a year ago, right? Maybe now, maybe didn't make sense, but they went and they made moves for these players to add on to forwards that they already had on their team and players like Katie Johnson and and Savannah McCaskill. And then seeing that kind of play out in challenge cup, there were a lot of question marks, right? That was a constant, that was a constant narrative coming in and out of the games. Like where's the goal scoring? What are you trying to do? It's not working. So with the concept of utilizing 2020 as a building year, right. And Mm -hmm. building on and, the importance of having chemistry together, which we've heard players speak about specifically, Kalia Watt saying on record in her, I think it was pregame conferences, that the goals were going to come with time. That it's it, that they felt like they were getting stronger. That it was about chem- building chemistry. So to get games and get them not with the club that it's your first year with is a little, I. You know, I think it's it's fair to say it's a little questionable. that like You're a little maybe confused. You're kind of like, okay, well, yes, it's important to get games. This is a very weird year. Everybody's trying to navigate it the best they can, right? I think uh in hindsight, we're going to look back on it and maybe say, it's good that people just got games, right? Because athletes need games, right? But mm-hmm. I think now in the present, in the moment, when you're like, oh, shit, man, there's actually more NWSL games. Maybe that's that decision, maybe you're kind of like – How's that going to end up working out in the long run? Um, because there are forwards here that are still going to continue that build. Right. So I think that's something that everyone's going to be looking for on this match.
3: I think it's also interesting. I wanted to throw this back at you, Jason, because because mm-hmm. it seems like from the first game that we saw, it's 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 nice. We're sitting in a good spot right now because we at least got to see the spirit play already. Um they also had some questions about what was going to happen in the attack, especially, you know, they had some shakeup in the midfield. They've got some injuries they're still dealing with. I think Chicago is going to have some of those too still. Um, and and you have players like Ashley Hatch and Ashley Sanchez who are trying to make things happen, but not necessarily connecting with that fluidity that you might be looking for. Um, so I think it might be interesting to see that on, on both sides of the ball um, with both teams.
0: Yeah, that's that's definitely it wasn't helped by um, Ashley Sanchez had a a blood blister that they basically they had to sub her off. And um, she eventually made it from the locker rooms back to the benches, but was in like Adidas slides and was just very gingerly walking, Um, which, you know, if anyone has if you're listening to this and you've played some on turf, I know some people get blood blisters really bad on turf. It's just a thing that happens on. uh Andre Carlisle from Black and Red United said the first thing i when I mentioned that he was like, Oh, that happens to me all the time um so for some people, it's just uh, I guess a fact of life. I don't know if that's the case with Sanchez, but having her come off forty five minutes into that game is that's a significant forty five minutes lost Cause I feel like they probably would have wanted her to go ninety um that's a significant chunk of her time with the spirit so far because we're talking about game six uh in her pro career, so um Having her come out didn't help. Um, I think there's something that could work with the midfield that they fielded in that game, it, but it, it's going to take t- some time. I mean, uh, Maggie Dory Howard had a bunch of knocks in Utah, so she didn't play very much. Um, Dorian Bailey has spent most of her pro career playing as a basically a fill in at all kinds of different spots. Um, this is probably her best role. But is that you know where she's going to be when everyone's healthy it's not not clear right now because um when everyone's healthy i feel like it probably is DiBiase, sullivan and bailey feist so dorian bailey i i have to say their full names to differentiate because people will get confused very quickly um so dorian bailey is gonna have to probably look at i mean there's there is a opening at fullback right now um with the other injuries because the the spirit were injured at like two spots that they are pretty short at. Um, So it it definitely had an impact on what this game meant as a learning exercise. Um, And I, I think they were left frustrated because I think, I think they were caught in two minds as to how much they wanted to just win all the fall series games uh, to build that side of the, the mindset of a team that just wins a bunch of games versus using it as an educational experience and it doesn't have to be either or but um i think they kind of got caught in the middle between the two and i noticed even post-game that a shift the the pre-game comments were more leaning towards winning and the post-game comments were a little more leaning towards learning some lessons for young players and and that kind of thinking so um i think honestly there's a lot of similarity there um because we like we're recording this on wednesday It could be that tomorrow the Red Stars release a roster and they're like, yeah, the following players are injured and our travel roster will be like Sky Blues, which was 14 field players, four goalkeepers, Um, which is bizarre. Um, But they just, I mean, Sky Blue is just like, these are the players we have. We just happen to have four goalkeepers, so we're bringing everybody um
3: yeah one of the funny ones for us until we get a roster is that um chicago has three goalkeepers and two of them are on loan so right now they technically have uh, one and it's a listener so yeah
2: that's a good good one goalkeeper yeah that's a good one goalkeeper to have guys
0: they they should consider if they want to back up they should consider calling sky blue and asking if someone can just come down
2: Yeah. yeah just
0: make the drive down um it's it's not too bad of a drive, generally speaking, uh, that they, they won't, you know, it's not the worst case scenario. Right. Um, but I think kind of on this note, um, and we were talking before we got started, um, Chicago, because of the way they approached the Challenge Cup, um, Chicago and the Spirit were two of the teams most affected by the late schedule shift when Orlando dropped out, and they took different paths to how they handled it. The Spirit... Just tried to play through it as an obstacle. They said, We're going to rotate some, but not a lot. Uh, Chicago said, We are rotating everyone, and they meant it. Uh, they rotated everybody. Um, and so on the one hand, that is crazy, but on the other hand, a lot of these players got like some valuable minutes in by getting a real start against you know Portland. This wasn't, and it, you know, I'm looking at the lineup from that game and. This wasn't like a heavily rotated Portland. This was Lindsey Horan was available. Uh, Christine Sinclair played from the start. Um, so, what did those games do for those players? Because I, I I feel like it's reasonable to expect that a lot of those players are going to be starting on Saturday.
3: Yeah, in some capacity. Um,
2: yeah, yeah, some, for sure. In some way, shape, or form. Yeah, it's gonna. We're gonna see. Likely, maybe a combination of what we saw you know in Portland but maybe more of what we saw in that first game against Spirit I mean there was rotation even within that first game I think they rolled mm-hmm. out with the starting 11 game game one challenge cup against the Spirit uh, with maybe some names and faces that they didn't expect I mean we saw you know Bianca St. George's getting that start you know they threw sorry Mars out there they said here you go mm-hmm. kid you know have some fun and um you know put her under really bright lights when you're talking about a player going up against a player like, like Rose LaValle, Right. So I wouldn't be surprised if maybe we see a combination of that. I, I, I really do think it's just going to be an extension, a continuation of what we saw in challenge cup, that the rest Stars are utilizing 2020 as, as really how they probably always intended to use this year, which is as mm-hmm. a building year. That the, We've heard them refer to that, even the players as such, everyone's on brand, right? So <laughs> I think that's just that's just going to be what it is. I mean, speaking with Scott Parkinson in our previous episode for Southside Trap, he basically alluded to that as well and actually shouted out a player like Zoe Moore. So um, yeah, I think we're just going to end up seeing a continuation of that. I just hope it looks a little bit more fluid you know, than what we were mm-hmm. seeing during the tournament.
3: Yeah. Um, I think probably what you're going to see based on what we heard from Scott and, and just kind of with a vibe that we're getting, um, I think you're going to see a younger red stars team a little bit, certainly uh, in this first game, I think they might, you know, they talk about similarities still. I, I mean, I think that all three of these teams in this, this division have a lot of similarities, but, um, mm-hmm. you're going to see a bit of a younger squad. I think you're going to see, um, you know, Parkinson talked, Zoe, Zoe Morse up a lot said that she's going to get some serious time um, at center back for Chicago um, and and the great thing with someone like her actually is that she got lit up on the Spirit's first goal of the Challenge Cup which mm-hmm. that's useful too um, yeah. and so we talk a lot about the, the tenacity of, of that Portland game and how they didn't concede and all of that sort of stuff but if you consider all of this to be a learning experience um, you know yeah if you look at the tenor of Chicago's challenge cup they basically refused to play by the rules during the group stage um Mm -hmm. and didn't get last and actually then made it all the way to the final so I think that you know there's a lot of different ways you can look at that I mean some of those for us were frustrating maybe it would have been a different experience if they had really tried to win but um I think that what it does mean is that Chicago's depth was tested and like held up pretty well. And I think that we're going to see more of that and we're going to see more of that. So I would say that, you know, if we were talking about these games, like they were competitive, um, people should not expect Chicago to be like, yes, we're going to go win. Cause that's not what they're <laughs> going to do. That's not, that hasn't been the vibe all year. Um,
0: mm-hmm. They're going to try
3: to keep people healthy. Um, a big thing that they're trying to do is they're trying to help develop players who are, coming back from injury and, or who did have really good challenge cups. They're trying to keep that going. Um, and I think that you are going to see that depth get, uh, get some time. And so the question will be, you know, yes, they got that one game mm-hmm. against Portland and they did really well. Um, but they also now haven't played for two months. Mm-hmm. Whereas the spirit, I feel like a little bit have at least like they, you know they had that one really fabulous game against Houston like they at least mm-hmm. have had some stuff that starts to feel like the project coming together whereas I think for Chicago we're still looking at players like getting looks.
0: So you you bring up um it, or it kind of brings to mind what you're saying kind of brings to mind um a couple players in particular it's kind of for two different reasons. Um at the Challenge Cup Michelle Vasconcelos didn't really play very much because she was coming back from an injury um and the other player I'm thinking of is is Kayla Sharples, who drew quite a bit of praise on what I'm pretty sure was her first pro start. Is that right? The Portland game?
3: Start. The, yeah. The, yeah. 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 Yeah.
0: Yeah. 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 She's played um,
3: before, but that was the first time right. she played a full
0: game. Um, so those are two players that I, that I found myself thinking earlier today, like it feels to me for no particular reason. I mean, like, you know, like we've established, it could be like, yeah, both players are injured. They're not going to play in this game. Um, but they may uh they may well be uh participating. Um, what do these games mean for those two? Because on one hand, you've got a player that is more established, uh, but has to come back from that injury, and on the other hand, you've got a player who maybe was just starting to push her way a little closer, but also, like you guys said, uh Zoe Morse plays the same position. If she's getting talked up, is there a place for Sharples to continue that progress? Or was that maybe just a a big game and not necessarily a sign for the future.
3: So we've got a great answer for you there because I'm so sorry, Jason, but she's also not here. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Sharples is in Finland right now. Um, but, but no, no, but this is maybe, but it does maybe answer your question, which is that I think perhaps the team came together and the conversation was for Sharples. If you'd like to get game time, I think maybe alone might be the best way to do it. Um, Because what we're anticipating, I think for the most part is, and I don't know exactly who's going to be starting at center back. I mean, they also have Hannah Davison, who is another option Mm -hmm. there um, on Saturday for sure. But I think the ultimate goal would be to have Sarah Gordon as the main, the focal point of that central defense. And I don't know, again, she's another one. She joined training late. I don't know what, what timeline she's on and then have somebody else next to her. Um, so so yeah so that answer is that I think that Chicago decided that Sharples would be better served um going elsewhere. Mm. Um, and that's then, familiar. We
0: we've, we've got we've had a case of that recently. Yeah, uh, out here so Yeah, that's um, right. Yeah.
3: So I think yeah. yeah, I think that those and I think that those conversations are productive and also useful when you think about terms of like the expansion draft and stuff like that and just kind of seeing what everybody's got. Um remind me who's the other player that you mentioned there?
0: Uh Michelle Vasconcelos. Ah,
3: uh, Vasconcelos. Um, I don't have I don't know I don't I have no idea uh what the plan is with Michelle Vasconcelos. Um, other than that I know that Alyssa Motz's second ACL tear really freaked Chicago out when that happened right before the challenge cup occurred. Mm-hmm. And so that shaded everything they did with Michelle Vasconcelos um during the tournament. And so um good i think that she's gotten more time but yeah i i have no idea i really don't know what the vision is there at this point other than just the same deal where they're just trying to keep you know no no soft tissue injuries nothing like that um and then that also leads to the question of like can a player get in form in this series (laughs) is that a thing that can happen
0: probably not uh if we're being honest um the The weirdness of it, the fact that these teams weren't training as of like three weeks ago is when training right. just kicked up again. um you know, I know speaking to some of the spirit players, it's definitely a thing where you know some of them that have that want to take that next step um Paige Nielsen was just on the team's um the the team show that they do with uh Richie Burke, where she was talking about the prospect of possibly taking the next step for her, which is getting into the national team picture. Um, So if that's, if you're in that place, then yeah, every single game does, you know, it has a certain individual pressure um, and you want to be as close to your best as possible. Um, But if you're maybe not quite there, um, these games are, I don't even know what they are. I mean, I know that, you know, the mindset of a professional is, such that they're going to take them seriously. It's not to imply that anyone's like, ah, screw this. It's, a, it's I'm going to go out there and goof off for 90 minutes." Um, but there is a certain difference that's hard it's hard to replicate that pressure of like this could be how I make my next step in my career um versus like I know at the end of these four games and the end of this series of training that I'm going to be roughly where I am anyway. Um it is hard to pretend that that's not the case. Um but that is part of being an athlete is sort of telling that lie to yourself to be ready to go. So um, it is, I'm curious about it from Chicago's perspective, because I also know that there's a lot going on outside. I mean, it's the case for everybody, but there's a lot going on outside. Um, The team went through, it seemed like maybe a tougher challenge cup off the field than most other teams. Um, It seemed maybe that they were really dealing with the various issues, not just not just the bubble, but also the issues of racism, the issues of trying to have that discussion within the group. Um, do you get the feel that they've made any uh, I is kind of an abrupt segue, but do you get the feeling that they've made any progress as a group there? Or is it still something where they're trying to figure out that for themselves? Because I know the spirit are still maybe chipping away, but it's still they're going through it. It's not a, you know, they're not all like, we're we've, we think we've all got to the to the uh, finish line on this
2: i think that um i want to preface this by saying that i actually think that this isn't just a chicago thing i think this is very much like a a league-wide thing online Mm -hmm. clubs involved uh, especially coming off of the week that week or two weeks ago that we just witnessed with you know so much going on within other various professional sports leagues when it came to players wanting to you know, take collective action to try to enact change, you know, within mm-hmm. the black community. Um, I think that the optics of the first game between Spirit and Chicago maybe impacted the team in a certain type of way, right? I don't think that's mm-hmm. unfair to su- to suggest and, and talk about as you kind of brought up here. You know, you had two matches happen on that opening day and you had a Portland and North Carolina team that for the most part uh, sent a very uh, unified message and then you had a, a washington spirit team and a chicago team that looked fragmented right and mm-hmm. it just wasn't a good look for the league period and uh what we saw last weekend right with sky blue and spirit was something completely different what kind of grew out of challenge cup i think is what is most important to focus on um mm-hmm. i think yeah you can go back and and Want to wonder like, wow, like that was really stressful. That was clearly very hard for you know a team, maybe specifically like Chicago, and it was. Uh, I'm not here to sugarcoat that it was. I mean, it was. I mean, there were multiple players went on record said that it was, whether it was with Southside Trap Podcast or maybe some of the work that I was doing for CBS. Multiple players had said this. Part of the Black Players Coalition. Uh, forming and coming out grew from some of the strife that happened within Challenge Cup between teams and the very difficult conversations that they were having or struggling to have, period. I think when you look at a team like Chicago under the larger lens of the city that they represent, all of that is a certain type of responsibility. You have to be built a certain type of way when you come from this city. And for a lot of these players, majority of them, I'm going to say like 90% of them, um, if they're not already calling Chicago home, like literally born within Chicagoland, they've adapted themselves into adopted children of Chicago. Um, Whether you have like players like Aaron Wright, who literally settled down and had a family here, or a player like Danny Colaprico, who has called this place a home away from home since she got drafted in 2015. There's Mm -hmm. a certain type of responsibility that comes with being a player in this club. And they speak to that a lot. And it's because of the type of city Chicago is. And it's a city, unlike maybe some other communities across this country, that has gone through some things, whether that is uh, dealing with social justice issues, whether that's dealing with uh, issues of Gun violence in general within the city, uh, you know police brutality amongst the the black and brown communities within the city, it's a lot, and it's constant, and that's what I mean when I say you have to be built a certain type of way from the city because you have to be able to be receptive to that constantly. It doesn't turn off. the lights don't go off it doesn't 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 happen. So when you go to bed, you are going to bed. Thinking about the city, and then when you wake up, you're hearing about all oh, the city. It, it's nonstop. So yeah, there's you got to be built a certain way. There's a certain type of weight that comes. I mean, this is a team that calls themselves the Red Stars. They're literally mm. uh, carrying the the city's flag on their on their chest, and uh, that's difficult. And I think that what we saw within the Challenge Cup was that a lot of these players, as the team kind of sort of grew into the tournament, and all of a sudden found themselves knocking on a final was that they really, really just wanted to put strong performances together and try to represent and maybe in a sense give back to their their city from a distance because for a lot of them, they couldn't wait to return mm-hmm. to be able to kind of integrate themselves and put in work within communities here. So do I think that affects the Red Stars on the pitch? Not necessarily do I think that that's something that they have themselves as players integrated themselves with and kind of adopted on their own? Yeah, absolutely. Um, And as someone who covers them, I'm grateful for that. I love that there are players on this team who understand and not only accept but live what it means to, to kind of represent this city.
3: If I can just add one, one more thing, um, this is not, sh- again, not Chicago specific, but what I think we've seen maybe the difference for league-wide um, from the beginning of the Challenge Cup to now is not necessarily about, you know, reading books or mm-hmm. having conversations. I think they've learned a lot about collective action. Um, I think that this was not a league that was particularly well versed in how unions work or how coalitions work or the need for labor to unite um and the power of that and how also fragmented labor force can be really hurtful to a cause and I think that that element is not it's not something that's taught in schools. it's not something that a lot of these women would have come across in their lives and I think that. You know, when you hear about the Black Players Coalition talk about learning from the WNBA and and stuff like that, I just think that the the learning curve I'm more I'm less interested at this moment in the learning curve of white players who realized two months ago that racism exists and more about what the people who have come to that, you know, come to that realization already, what they've learned about what can be done and the power that they actually have. Because Mm -hmm. one of the larger stories of women's soccer is players feeling like they don't have a voice at all and that they need to just to be really grateful for the opportunities that they're given. And so I think that what we've seen in Chicago a lot and what I think we're seeing throughout the league from players like Kaya McCullough and, and Midge Purse and, and, you know, from all the members of the NWSL, uh, the black players of the NWSL coalition is that they're understanding that they are stronger together. They can unify their voice And there are actual avenues to that that have been going on for years and years and years, and they can learn from elders Mm -hmm. in this space. And so I think that that's what I've seen more than anything from then until now is that this doesn't have to be every single person on their own spilling their guts out to get noticed. It can be actual collective action. And that in a lot of ways is a lot more effective and a lot more powerful.
2: I also do really just want to add, as we just came off of Labor Day, right, Mm -hmm. a holiday that exists because of the city of Chicago, where workers unionized to fight for their rights. You know, I don't I'm not unsurprised at all that Chicago as a club, because they're connected to the city that they represent, have been constantly looked to as a team that needs to be the example of growth. and. I just want to go on record and say that I think that A, that's a little bit unfair, but B, I get it. I get it. Uh, Mm -hmm. And that's why I wanted to preface with whatever Claire and I just jumped into is that this actually isn't a Chicago thing. This is a league wide Mm thing. All nine clubs need to be having those conversations. Right. And they need to be pushing that envelope. And if they aren't finding themselves as invested within a market or a city as maybe players like Chicago's are, they should have those conversations and find out the reasons why mm. and in- integrate that as part of their own collective team culture. So, um, you know, I think on the other side of that, Jason, from us to you, like do you see this type of stuff kind of impacting the spirit because, I mean, they were the team on, on the other side on that match they yeah. won in, in Challenge Cup. Are you seeing growth? Are you maybe seeing some of that stuff still affecting the team? Are they coming out of it? What are you seeing from that?
0: Uh, I think I think they are more a cohesive group than they were because, you know, in the offseason they had several, I mean, they I think it was 11 to 12, I want to say 12 players that were new. Um, and for a lot of them, because COVID happened, um, right after, or started to happen for real, right after they left for Florida. Um, and so they got to Florida and they actually got two, two and a half weeks to sort of start to form some bonds. But a lot of that is still that early new soccer teammate bond stuff. You're not really getting into um, a lot of deeper issues. Um, it's more like, oh, you like this kind of movie? That's cool. Um, And that's about it. Um, So that stuff does help. Um, But it's not the same thing as what we're talking about right now. And I think over the course of the year, um, they are starting to work as a group, Um, whether that's, uh, you know, there was the photo of both teams from Saturday wearing the shirts that uh, Natasha Cloud somehow via Magic uh, managed to get uh get to the the state get done completed into the stadium in time for the game um but before that uh the spirit had actually um had planned on doing their own statement they made their own shirts um as a group and so every single player on the team was going to put something on the back that they felt like spoke to cuz the front of the shirts all say black lives matter and then the back they all have something different um And it was going to be what they felt spoke to the topic, you know, the topic sentences on the front of the shirt and the back is something that they think could relate to that and, and help support, um, the whole community on that issue. Um, and I think they still plan on doing this where it's going to be, the individual players are going to come forward with their statement on why they chose what they chose, what cause, um, can locally or nationally that can be supported to help, you know, deal with that, um, help improve things from the angle that they're choosing um and i don't think that would have happened at the the start of the challenge cup that was not going to happen um i think they were still a team trying to be a soccer team first and not a group um you know we're talking about collective action um i feel like team sports especially are so conducive to that um where it should be it should be one of those things that almost like clicks very quickly like no i get it um You know, but at the same time, uh, as as I think Claire said, um, a lot of these players, you know, women's soccer comes from a heavy, um, well to do white background. And a lot of these players just have not had to deal with this before. They just haven't encountered it. Uh, And so it's all new. And I think in some cases, some some players are learning this stuff for the first time, which is not, you know, not really good for. America, that that is a thing that people get into their 20s and don't know about. Um, But on the other hand, I do think that the team's leaders have kind of tried to get the group together to try and really uh, figure something they can do out, something they can do as a group, um, because it is going to be a bigger deal if they speak as a team, whereas if it's one player, the voice kind of gets lost. Um, So I think they've made progress after the Challenge Cup. Um, I think maybe the challenge cup got them to realize that they were not, maybe, maybe they thought they were in a certain place, but they weren't quite there. Um, And it kind of made it clear to them like, Oh, we're not really what we thought. Um, But we can get there. We just have to do some more work. Um, And it seems like they've done it. Um, But it has been, it's hard to get a read this year because we've got so little direct access. I mean, this this game on Saturday was the first time I've seen any of these people with my own eyes since the draft, um, so it's a it's a feel, it's a guess, but um, I, I do get the sense that the club itself, as an organization, also wants to. Um, I think they want to follow the players' lead. So if the players want to collectively make a difference in some in some way, then the club is going to back them and not necessarily say, let's let's steer towards this other issue that is maybe a little less, um, maybe going to put fewer people off because there are some things that need to get done right now that are going to put some portion of the fan base off. Um, and the clubs have to make that decision for themselves. Are they willing to do that? Um, and it seems like the spirit at this point are. Um, we're having a little bit of a moment in D.C. soccer specifically where D.C. United has taken a big lead um, maybe more than most MLS clubs on this and they've had some fans that are like I don't I don't like this I don't want you talking about these things anymore and they've been like okay good. there's other teams good luck um which is cool uh, I'm glad to see it but uh you know the spirit are maybe not they may maybe one step uh shorter down the path than than DC is to use that comparison um but that, I think they're getting there um I see signs of it it just you know the challenge cup itself I think they were not necessarily thinking that it was going to be as obviously a big deal as it was. I think they were there for a soccer tournament. Um and they did not realize that there would be so much other stuff going on. But, you know, to their credit, once they figured the surprise of that to themselves out, they started to they didn't just say, "Oh, I had no idea" and then move on like that. That covers it. They then started to say, "Okay, we need to g- get to work on this." So, I hope that that's that's true. That's my read on it, but you know, I'm on the outside, I could have it wrong. Um, But I do, this does bring me to a question that has been on my mind, which is both of you, when I've spoken to you uh, over the years, it's always been there, there's the idea of what is a red star. And most teams in the league can't say that for sure. I think the Thorns have that to a certain extent. Um, North Carolina has developed their own thing you can't say what is a courage because it doesn't work grammatically, but what they have their thing. <laughs> um, but I think the red stars, it's very clear that there is, there is an, a concept of what, what makes a red star player. What What is it to be a part of that team? Uh, what does that team as a group, what does it st- symbolize? So um, I know it's a kind of a big uh, 30,000 feet question, but what does that mean to to you covering the team, what does that idea mean?
3: Um, I, I think Sandra and I are going to have some, different, some, some slightly similar but different answers here. The first thought that actually comes to my mind is um, one of the things that I think Portland and Chicago have in common now, this hasn't always been true, mm-hmm. is that they have a very engaged supporters group. And so part of the modern definition of what a Red Star is, kind of like the Thorns, is are they a player and a person that Chicago Local 134 is, like, proud to sing about and proud to support? And that is a supporters group with some very specific values, and they're outspoken about those. Um, They are named after a union. They have some very specific Chicago values to their support. Um, And when they were let down during the Challenge Cup, they expressed that appropriately, but also, you know, in in a very, you know, serious way. And so I think Mm. that part of if you think about off field stuff, and especially in this new kind of 2020 context, I would say to me, that part of being a red star is being someone that Chicago local 134 looks at and goes like, that's one of ours, that person is with us and i think that that extends to um what you see on the field especially because chicago has seen some you know style changes and stuff like that over the years um a chicago red star is an adult it's number one a chicago red star lives in the city of chicago no it's true they can take you know, care it, of themselves. Yeah, it is
0: funny, but it is also a thing that like yeah. a player. There are players that get to be professional soccer players and are not actually an adult yet.
3: Yeah, um, no. Chicago Red Stars are adults who can take care of themselves, who work hard and but have lives outside of this game. They, you know, there's a there's this a, there's a priority at the club to let people be their own selves. Um and then you get into the larger conversation of they work hard. They want to win their feet are on the ground. Their head is firmly on their shoulders. um, And they want to play good soccer and they want to work hard for each other. So that's maybe the more traditional answer. I think Sandra will probably be able to speak on that more eloquently than I can. Um, But that's like the, the big thing for me going forward is I'm like, I really think that the, the supporters group being on brand on message with a value system that they expect their team to uphold is part of what makes that reality true in addition to coaching staff and stuff like that. So I don't know. What do you think Sandra? No, I, I
2: agree very much. I like the the component that you brought in with, with the fan base, with the supporter group. I think it is important to note that, it's a supporters group that, you know, yes, was born out of rooting for the Red Stars and supporting the Red Stars. But, you know, ha- similarly to the club has deep ties to the city and named after a union specifically. And um, I think that's very important to note when you're talking about Red Stars culture and how that connection is there. Um, I always like to think about the players that actually aren't from here, right? Because there's so many that have kind of grown up adjacent to the city. You got a lot mm. of Naperville kids and Elk Grove kids and so on and so forth, you know, more North Burb kids who as adults, like Claire said, have made the active choice to now live within the city and like have mm. their lives as live their lives as, true Chicagoans right um being an adult is huge I mean there's a reason why Turner Davidson is a Chicago Red Star she's the youngest adult on the team Uh, (laughs) right and next to right then you could put Mm -hmm. her right next to probably a listener in that sentence right um but yeah I think of I think of players like Danny Colaprico I think of players like Aaron Wright I think of players like Jen Hoy who spent so many of her professional NWL career here in the city with the red stars. And she was a player that I did ask about that. Mm-hmm. I remember speaking with her prior to one of the many, right. Semifinals that they went to and asking her specifically, like, what, what does that mean? And I love that. She's an Ivy league kid, Princeton. Mm-hmm. Still, right. And I, I knew if anyone could answer that question, it would be Jenoy because I framed it in a way where, can you tell me what it means to be a Red Star and not use the words blue collar or hardworking <laughs> mm-hmm. or gritty or grinder? You can't use those words, you know? Mm-hmm. And um, it was a challenge that she was up to. And she, she basically said, well, we hear a lot about the Red Stars culture now. You know, it's, it's about never being satisfied. And they're not part of that is that they set themselves up to never be satisfied. Right. Mm-hmm. There's always something to work towards. There's always something to build upon. Um, she also mentioned uh, to strive for excellence and to not settle for less. And another similar Jersey kid in, in Danny Colaprico echoed that for me this year, like when we were talking a little bit challenge Cup. when you're a red star you have to kind of fight a little bit for everything that you earn that nothing really comes easy and a part of that is because of how they're they're built and how they kind of flesh out their games that they want to be this team that's constantly hard to play against you hear a lot about how the red stars are very very organized how they're a difficult team to break down they're a team that you can beat that's that's been apparent right um but they're a team that don't that don't make it easy Mm
0: -hmm.
2: Um, so i think it's important to just recognize um, those players who don't necessarily you know come from chicago that weren't eclipse kids or had their background in a, a midwest school these players who have sort of come from these other places and have been with the team for a certain amount of time they they really do kind of show and i think that a player like Colo Prico is one of those players where a mm-hmm. supporters group like local one, three, four can point it and say, that is one of our own, And this is a kid out of Jersey and not a player like Casey short or Sarah Gordon. Right. Um, so it's uh it's been really cool to see. It's been really great to cover. And I think it's very, very dope that now so many years later in NWSL's existence, right. Eight, eight years that when people talk about the concept of a team culture, they think about a place like Chicago and a club like the red stars who have had tried to build that from day one mm. and then focus on winning games. So for them, it was about community first and then it was about trying to win some games. So I, I, I want
3: to add part. just one more thing. I know we're like talking over each other, but um, uh, I, to add to my list of Chicago red stars or adults, Um, If you're looking for something on the field, Chicago Red Stars defend. That's a Chicago Red Star. If you're a Chicago Red Star at any line, you're defending. And so when even when you're watching the college game or you're watching, you know, WPSL or whatever, and you see someone who's working their ass off to grunt if they made a mistake, they're running back and they're, they're making the recovery run or they're like sacrificing their body on turf to like get the ball out of play. That's a Red Star. So I think that when we're taught, we talked a lot about locker room culture, but number one, and this is a Roy Dames thing, you can't play for the Red Stars if you're not defending always. Um, and that's also, I think, tied to the idea of like, if you think you're too good to defend, you gotta, gotta get out of here, man. You gotta, yeah. you gotta be willing to do that.
2: <laughs> I like to think that if there's a checklist for uh, potential players who want to be Red Stars, like an application that they have to fill out, and one of them's like, do you like defense Yes or no." <laughs> and they check no that that, that that application automatically goes in like the reject pile. That's absolutely yeah. It is unfortunately. That's just how that's you have to defend an NWS song, and I think Chicago yeah. have have known that. Um these are long-winded answers, but you're
0: No, it's it's a it's a big question. Um, and it's one that you know, I the teams I mentioned, you know, Chicago, Portland, North Carolina, it's no care it's no accident that they are also always in the playoff picture. Um and I think it does stem from this. And I think that the other teams in the league are, I think they all realize that they have to figure out this out for themselves to, you know, what, what makes a spirit player? Um, what is it to be a member of the Washington spirit is being figured out, but they're not quite as defined as the concept of what is a red star or what is a thorn? Um, I think Houston, you know, I think of the challenge cup, I think they started to show some signs of, figuring that out as well. Um, and, you know, there are teams like, you know, Orlando struggled so badly last year. And I think part of it was, it was unclear what they were other than a group of people that had some soccer games to play. Um, and maybe that's, that's a, um, you know, looking at the spirit as an organization, um, I think that's something they had to figure out, you know, they kind of blew the whole thing up. Um, after 2018, they got, new owners, new coaches, new players um and it it had to happen because you don't have a season like the 2018 spirit without having some major problems that are not just were not not the best soccer team because there have been times where Chicago hasn't been the best soccer team um that they've still gotten through and gotten some decent results out of it because they have this to fall back on um and that's something that when i think about how can the spirit get into that group because that was this year coming into this year back in uh, the distant times of like February, Um, that was like a major thing is like, well, the spirit seemed to be best positioned to be that team to join that front three, but how do they do that? And this is what I come back to is it's not even so much about, um, you know, can, can the number eight connect a certain number of passes? It's nothing. It's not really about that so much as it is um, having that defined culture. And, and, you know, the spirit have made some real headway on that because before uh you know back to 2017 2018 it was not even 2016 um that team's culture was more about having a bunch of talented individuals playing really well um and they liked to be together as a team maybe they didn't like to be under their coach um or uh some things like that but they did like to be together and that was a big help but it wasn't it wasn't going to be a long term thing um whereas you know, these, the, the three teams that have their super defined culture, I think um, they're the teams that the rest of the league needs to look to and say, how can we, we can't take that. We can't be the same. Um, We're not going to be the same, but how can we figure out how to get that level of culture ensconced here? Um, And so that's something I think about the spirit a lot is they're, they're making strides in that direction, but how, how long does that take? Um, And, you know, as Sandra said, it started day one in Chicago and that's a big deal. Um and that's something that you can't replicate, so it might take a little longer, even if even if the spirit go out and find, you know, the best players they possibly can with their international spots, and they all of a sudden have a roster where you say, Well, the roster says they should win the league. Um, but you know, the the roster doesn't always tell you what's gonna happen. Um I guess I guess the one other question that I have is another it's another big picture question um but we this show and your show both cover independent teams in the league um and it's a different it's a very different vibe than what we see out of out of the teams that are partnered with an MLS or USL team um how do you think Chicago is grappling with the fact that they don't have that quite frankly wealthier backing that those teams have where they you know business wise in 2020, everyone's going through hard times. Um, I know the spirit had to go through the paycheck protection program and they were very proud of themselves. They didn't have to let anyone go, which is a huge achievement. Um, But it's also like, you know, that's, that's a really tough thing to go through as well as having to worry about that. Um, How is Chicago handling being an independent club in this league in what is this hellish 2020 for so many reasons?
3: Um, well, I think, you know, it's a good, that's a good question because I think that it ties to the question you asked before, which is that I do think that Chicago relies on its culture a lot. Um, mm. and I think that that's not unusual in sports. I think you see that in a variety of different sports when you have teams that that don't have the, the supply, the the money supply as much, um, they gotta be smart, they gotta be mobile and they have to create a culture that players want to be in, even if it's not the fanciest. Um, And so I think that, I think that Chicago has always succeeded in that respect. Um, And I think that that is something that also, quite frankly, the rules in the NWSL support, they support the ability to do that with the draft and with all of that sort of thing. Um, They want people to play smart. They don't necessarily have to, to have all of the, you know, be the, be the wealthiest team, Um, but Sandra and I talk about this a lot, and I don't think we're saying anything that the team itself doesn't know, um, which is that it's a new, it's a new era that we're moving into. And, Mm -hmm. um, I know Chicago is, um, they're looking for sponsorship. I know that they're trying to be as aggressive as possible in that regard. Um, and I think part of it though, you know, Sandra and I can't quite answer because the next step hasn't. Been taken yet? Um, the thing that's always been true about the Red Stars is that the foundation is really strong. They have a great roster of players who really want to be there. They've got you know a, a GM who knows this space as as well as anybody in the country, other than maybe Vladko Andonovski, and um, and and they've got an, an owner right now who also knows the space really well and and mm. who would be a good collaborator in that respect. Um, So the answer is they've been able to do well because of all of the tools that they've kind of already had since the beginning of the league. And then the bigger question is definitely what happens next. I think for the red stars, you have to give them a mulligan on this year. I think they did pretty well just to exist.
0: Mm -hmm. Uh, They
3: got a front of Jersey sponsor, which that was pretty cool. (laughs) Um, And, and then, and then I think you kind of start over in 2021. And so I think that, um, The work in this off season, like we know that Chicago is going to be smart about this expansion draft. There's no way that they're going to not have that go the way that they want it to go, but then what? Right. Um, So yeah, they rely on their culture a lot. Oh, the other thing, and I've said this on Southside trap a million times, it really helps that you play in the best city in in the world. (laughs) Um, (laughs) It helps a lot. It's a place where people like to live. Um, And so that also really works in Chicago's favor is that it's a great sports market. It's a great city to live in, especially in the summertime. um, And that makes it a destination, even if they're not the wealthiest club in the country.
2: Yeah, I think it's, I think that's also part of what makes Chicago's culture its culture, right? That it's one of the last independently ran clubs. And Mm. I think that's one of the things that might make it really endearing for the casual fan or even some of its most loyal supporters, right? Um, But 2020 has been quite a ride. And it's definitely been a learning experience. I think for everybody involved within the space, whether it's ownership, players, coaches, us as media who do coverage, everybody's learning a whole lot um, mm-hmm. within it. And I appreciate uh, a club like Chicago kind of being a bit transparent in that really early on. I mean, we saw an incredibly successful, you know away kit launch right when the concept of games was like this big question mark like what was that gonna mm-hmm. mean what were games gonna look like how was that gonna play out and a big part of that was because they were honest and said could use some revenue right now that'd be real nice mm-hmm. to see some dollars coming in so um i appreciate that in a on the other side of that you're like man what a tough year right mm-hmm. um signing and having a partner and sponsorship like meyer is huge it's huge. Having one of the biggest g- grocers in the Midwest throw their weight behind you is huge. And um having more games for the fall series and two of them be in Chicago and one of them be on big network CBS, also very, very huge. And um also, yeah, just to echo what Claire said, we're learning a lot about what ownership should and maybe shouldn't look like. Mm. And, you know, we're seeing teams that are going to be, coming into this league very soon in a spot like Louisville, you know, big shiny place like LA with a lot of big shiny names and um, hearing some of the things and the investigations that are ongoing right now in Utah and how things are probably going to change over there. It's it's all kind mm-hmm. of integrating itself together and how you want to move forward and how you look at, at ownership and how things are, are ran around here. So, yeah, I think the concept of, the independent club is something that is very, very special. But you know, something happens over time with the family. Uh, it grows, right? When two parents decide to have a kid, a lot of times they gotta move. Mm-hmm. <laughs> a lot of times they gotta, you know, go ahead and expand and and find new opportunities, right? So That's not me trying to ring any bells or ring any alarms. I'm just saying that Chicago is one of the last horsemen, right? And they should be very proud of the foundation that they built. They've got an amazing foundation to keep growing and expansion on that house that they've built. It's very strong, and there's been a lot of wonderful memories there. So I think that the next phase for independent clubs. You know, when we saw it in a team like OL Rain, right, when they went out and they saw partnership, I think that's probably going to be the next step or should be the next step for Chicago. And I think that's a move that people are going to be looking for. Now, whether or not that happens, it's going to remain to be seen. and uh, It's something that I hope does. Um, it's nice to see clubs like the rain, clubs like Spirit, go from where they've come from and kind of build on what they've established. So uh, we'll see. I think having these next round of games are going to help maybe kind of iron some things out at the very least. Maybe if not answer some prior questions, maybe introduce some different ones, some different questions to take a look at within the off season.
3: Yeah. I think, I think the games being, if you consider the challenge cup and in the fall series, at least at the very least being ads, good ad
0: you know for the red stars so i think that Mm -hmm. helps yeah and you know uh as as we just said you know we're talking about cbs uh you know chicago gets to host one of those games it's not just they're on there they actually get it's not the same as hosting it with fans you don't get to show everything about your team but it is I, i i got the sense from the people that work for the spirit um face to face face to face from you know a solid ten feet away, but still face to face that uh it meant a lot um the challenge of it meant a lot the fact that it was uh it's kind of a, a sign of trust from the league to a certain extent because they could say we're gonna make sure the c b s games go to the the teams with the, the biggest staffs we can we can channel them towards uh Portland, you know there's nothing stopping. CBS and NWSL from saying Portland gets to host two games on CBS out of the 4 and that's that. Um but the fact that the independent clubs are getting this chance. Um I don't know I mean, I can't say for sure if that's you know CBS and NWSL saying we need to make sure these are equally distributed or if it's just uh a fluke of timing or if it's a little mix of everything but um I can say from the spirit side it seemed to mean a lot to them that they got to be the team that got to host a CBS game. Um, You know, it's one thing this weekend's game is not a CBS game. It's on Twitch. Um, And that's still going to be a big deal because they know there's still going to be a lot of people watching, but it's not quite the same as nationally televised on a Saturday in September uh, when everyone is stuck at home. Um, And it, it meant a lot to them. I assume it's going to mean a lot in the red stars front office uh, with everyone that works for the club. Um, so I'm I'm interested to see what they put together for that game. That's game three in the pod. Is that right? Yes, I feel like that's right. Yeah, Um, so
3: it'll well it'll be Chicago's second game and Sky Blue's second game, but the third pod game, yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, so that that'll be down the road a little bit, but um it is kind of a it's it's a nice thing to see that it's not just uh the Portland's or even, you know, even a team like Houston that at least has that an MLS front office behind them, you know, someone to pick up some of that slack. Um, the fact that the league is trusting these independent teams with this is kind of a big deal to me. Um, or at least it seems like it is. I, I could be placing a lot of importance on something that they were like, well, that's the date. So that's when that the game's going to be. Um, where can people find you online? Where can they, uh, re I know you guys do a, both an excellent podcast and also excellent written product, So I want people to, if they can, go, go see it.
3: Yes, the name of the podcast is Southside Trap. You can find us at Southside Trap Pod on all social media. We also have a Patreon where you get written work. Um, I did I did a preview of some players to watch for the Red Stars this week. We do previews. We do recaps. Um, yeah, that's it. Support the Patreon. You really do get the good stuff, and you get it first. So um, that's where I would say you can find us follow us on follow the it on twitter i guess as well if you'd like
2: <laughs> or don't 2020 is <laughs> hard we talked a yeah. lot about this year and how it sucks so you know yeah we have a patron please support us if you can there's some really awesome tiers there find one that works for you um if not you could show your support in other ways like you said claire just follow all the socials you know and follow twitter if you like that stuff helps us out a lot so appreciate the time and the space
0: Okay. Uh, I hope that was enough. Uh, apologies. Maybe if, if you're the kind of fan who, or the kind of podcast listener who wants to listen to a shorter show, apologize for this one being a little long, but we had a lot to talk about. We're also just, if I'm being honest, we're all glad to be talking to other human beings because during uh coronavirus, there's not a lot of that going on. You don't get to have a lot of conversations that aren't text-based. The show website is plexweather.pinecast.co. The Twitter account is at PlexWeather, all one word. Uh, if you see the blue background with a red lightning bolt, you're in the right place. Uh, the show is available on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify. I've heard other people say that they've been told that if it gets, if you get uh, rated and comments, it helps find, you know, tells the algorithm to put the show in front of people. If you feel like doing that, that would be awesome. If you don't feel like it, I'll be okay. Um, But if you do want to, that would be great. We also, we, I'm still doing it. It's going to keep happening. The show I I just rolled out last week, a little tip jar. If you want to help support uh, the the show, defray some of those costs. um, I did get uh, a couple uh, tips in there, which I can't say how much I appreciate them. Uh, You are literally, I, I can see the tip that you leave. I can actually put it towards the cost of covering the team. Um, The first tip I got is going to cover the cost of taking the ferry to be at Segra field on Saturday. Um, So these things really do have a tangible impact right away and they mean a lot to me. So that's on uh, the link to that is on the Twitter bio and on the website. If you want to find it, the actual URL has a bunch of letters and numbers uh, that I would have to read off. It would take forever. So those are the best places to find it. You can click it. You don't have to type it in listening to me and transcribing this podcast into your uh your browser. So th- this is probably for the best. Uh and with that uh confusing note, I'm going to call it. Thank you for listening to Plexworld.